S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live, Season 3, Episode 3, starring Hugh Hefner, originally aired on October 15, 1977. Greetings, my name is Keith. Welcome to SN Hell, and with me as always, my good buddy Matt. Hello, Matt. Hey, Keith. I love being with you here every Saturday night. Fantastic. And uh, joining us again, sitting in the third chair, our most prolific third chair, it's our good buddy Chili. Hello again. Welcome back for Season 3. Excited to see what the new season has to offer. Um, so yeah, Hugh Hefner, he hosts uh, Season 3, Episode 3, founder of Playboy, first edition in 1953, spanned out into different areas of uh, multimedia. Talking about Hefner at any great length, you uh, will there will be uh, a million different opinions, some good, some bad, some ugly. Controversial person who, especially in this day and age, it's hard to be sure what you can and can't say. You know, he, he lived a life, I guess you could say that. Hugh Hefner is a shitty man, a shitty human. Hugh Hefner is somebody who took advantage of women for his entire life. He is an absolute, unregulated piece of shit. All right, so the cold open. So we have Lorraine in a white bodysuit that leaves very little to the imagination. She's bending and twisting around a large wine glass as she tells jokes. So what's happening here is Lorraine is the model from the old Playboy Party jokes page, um, only she's come to life. So she's reading the jokes, and these are basically jokes and limericks as they would appear in the Playboy. She tells a few. None of them are hilarious. Her delivery is great, though. And then she says she has one with a good punchline. And the punchline is live from New York at Saturday night. And this is Lorraine Newman's first uh, live from New York at Saturday night. To me, this sketch, I mean, it's all Lorraine's performance was amazing. Uh, she looked so good. They had to shoot her from a distance. I think, um, this was not a strong intro. It felt like it was joined in progress. As a matter of fact, I don't know if we were missing something. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't read playboy in 1977 when the, uh, party jokes thing was in there. I don't know. It might even still be in there. Um, but, uh, I thought this was okay. Glad to see Lorraine get, uh, such a prominent spot. It just might not have been the best spot. This is the sort of objectification of women that I expect to come from an episode featuring Hugh Hefner. Uh, I, I really think that this is, you know, I'm open-minded. I'm ready for it to just be Saturday Night Live and to not cater to the whims of the fucking piece of human garbage hugh hefner but uh this is an inauspicious start for me uh because it really seems like they're gonna go all in on the hugh hefner is the modern man's man i hate hugh hefner so buckle in lads we just kind of jumbled i even found you know lorraine obviously very pretty and delivered the lines in like the air-headed way but yeah, I just didn't find it was very funny because it was a little jumbled. And like you said, Keith, it felt like it was taken in progress. And uh, yeah, as to Matt's point, um, you know, I think this is probably a good way to describe how most of this episode is going to go. So we now go to the intro. It's the same as last week. Chili, this is the first time you're seeing the cross the street in front of the billboard uh, intro. What do you think? Don't like it. Even to this day, I... There's something cool when they show the cast and they're all doing their different things. It's some type of variation of, oh, I'm having a drink. I'm standing outside. But to just have them walking in front, it was, yeah, it's not SNL for me. So we now go to the monologue. They do this uh, thing I'm noticing this season. They do a really awkward close-up of the hosts standing at the top of the stairs where they look in the camera and smile. Um, in this case, Hefner is smiling and he's smoking his pipe. He comes down uh, down the stairs wearing his silk pajamas and says he's a publisher, but not a performer. Says he is almost as funny as Ralph Nader, so he's going to give it a go. Uh, that gave me a, a bit of a chuckle. He is obviously a little uncomfortable, but he relaxes a bit when he starts talking about his career. He then goes in and starts singing, Thank Heavens for Little Girls. Paul Schaefer, in, in the Live from New York book, notes this as one particular musical performance that was really hard for the band to keep up with. And there are some spots where that's very obvious that 
Hefner's out of step with the band. Hugh Hefner is not a performer. His delivery was kind of flat. Didn't feel super comfortable. I do feel like he got more comfortable as the show went on. The close-up at the very beginning, especially of a you know pretty creepy-looking Hugh Hefner, was not a great way to start off this segment of your show. And I have written here big capital letters with three exclamation points. Oh, no. And then he started singing Thank Heaven for Little Girls, which, while technically a fun song, and I'm sure it was probably written in a much cutesier way yeah it's just a it's a disgusting song that probably should be retired even by the time this came out 40 plus years ago even though i'm no singer on a technical standpoint i will give you some tips if you are going to sing a song even if you're not classically trained it helps to open your mouth because he his mouth was closed and somehow the words were coming out so yeah, this is not a good opening. Wretched. Hugh Hefner has no charisma whatsoever. He is clearly reading. Uh, and, you know, I know Frank Zappa is going to get in trouble later for clearly reading and calling it out, no less, on the mic. I don't know. When I, when I watch shit like non-performers like Hugh Hefner doing such a shitty job, every time I see it, it makes me feel a little better about what's to come later with Frank you know, when, when I see people struggling this visibly and you know what? Fuck the show for having him. Fuck you, Hefner. And this is what you get when you don't have or hire performers to perform. When you want to stick somebody in a slot. Talk about anyone can host. If anyone can host. Can you Hefner host? Mm, jury's out so far, but uh, I'm, I'm not on board yet. He's really bad. Angora Bouquet. It's a commercial. Jane is a wife raking leaves. She says she's beautiful but stupid, and she found a soap that makes her stay that way, and her husband likes her that way. She has a great line, good looks and complex human emotions don't mix. She found a soap called Angora Bouquet, which has a tranquilizer that washes reality away. It's then revealed that she's been raking with the opposite side of the rake. And uh, Angora Bouquet washes your brain as well as your face. Great work by Jane on this piece. Loved it. Fantastic. Hilarious commercial parody. You're right. Jane was tremendous. And this was clever. The jokes were clever. And, you know, this is clearly a parody of commercials of the time. It had it all. It's topical. It fits into what uh, everybody's seeing on television. And you, you got uh, a good performer and you got clever jokes to give them. High fives. Yeah, I like this one. It was a good, concise you know, commercial, which can be very hit or miss. This one was a hit. Hi, I'm beautiful, but stupid is a great way to start the commercial. And Jane kept it up the whole way through. In a very short amount of time, though, it is the second women are dumb bit, but at least this one was done on purpose. And uh, yeah, it also ended with the sideshow Bob stepping on a rake bit. So (laughs) thumbs up all around. Our next sketch is Planet of the Men versus Planet of the Women. So this is a sci-fi deal where there's this mirror universe. One side is ruled by men, one is ruled by women. A storm from the planet Lubricax destroyed the separation, and the men and women destroy each other's existence. The men are Captain Macho, played by Hefner. Test, uh, testosterone, I think it was testosterone or testosterone. Testosterone. Uh, testosterone, played by Belushi. Um, Harden, played by Ackroyd, and an unnamed crew member, played by Garrett. They come across the women's ship, and they're waiting for the women to make the first move. So we flip to the women's ship, and it's Captain Estragina, played by Jane, Lieutenant Ariella, played by Lorraine, and Lieutenant Fallopia, played by Gilda. The women say their ship is not as big as we'd hoped. Uh, they seem to have little control over their craft. The women hit the men with a horn with a horn ray, where the men realize how long they've been in space without women. In retaliation, they fire a mouse ray, which is basically a mouse in a two-liter bottle, pop bottle. The women panic, stand up in their chair, and say, eek. The ships collide, and it's basically, um, you know, it's it's like fornication. The men's dart-like ship goes through the middle of the women's ring ship. The women say our ship wasn't damaged, but it'll never be the same, and the women smoke. The men are tired, and they go to sleep, but Garrett wants to do battle again right away. This was really funny. I laughed a lot. The audience loved it. These jokes are very cliche. I wonder if they were cliche back then, especially on TV, Jokes are goofy as hell, but they're still really funny. And, and, you know, it was 
performed without the sort of tongue-in-cheek, look at us, being funny, which it was given that nice, serious deadpan. I really enjoyed this. Um, I probably shouldn't like this in a lot of ways because it's, you know, a whole bunch of cliched jokes, but this could be the beginning of this sort of thing for TV. And just because they're cliche doesn't mean they're not funny. Um, and because I have seen them probably a million times since, uh, I can't really fault the people that might have done it first on television. Uh, Keith, when you were talking, you said something that really spoke to me. It's that I shouldn't like it. And you're right, sir. You shouldn't like it. This is lazy, hack, bullshit writing. The women are in a goddamn pink ship, Keith. Come on. How lazy need you be? To, and no wonder we think everybody that works on the show is on drugs all the time. I Because they're not putting forth any effort to demonstrate otherwise. Shitty, shitty sketch. Hefner is terrible. You are not Captain Kirk. And I'm not just saying this because I hate him as a person. Setting that aside, he's also not a performer, shouldn't be hosting the show. You already know how I feel about these people hosting the show. And it's... Yeah, the, the, the jokes are the stupidest, lamest jokes. It's like they got some kids from NYU to write the sketch. This is not network television. It's really lazy and it's really stupid. And I, I liked I, I liked the, the ship's fucking. But like that, that, was, that was it. The ship's fucking was funny because, you know, it, it flew into the ship and they were like, ah. Oh. But other than that, this is the hackiest bullshit i've seen in some time from the show i've seen we've seen bad sketches sketches that don't seem to have any jokes whatsoever sketches that just seem to meander and just you know they, then they just end and you're like oh okay i guess that was it isn't this like english farce you know what i mean um and and you mentioned like the pink ship that's precisely what a bad sci-fi from that period would have had if there was men versus women you know, they would have adopted every bad thing about Earth. Yeah, but you know, you know what? You know, the Coneheads are bad sci-fi. This is uh, a weird alien family trying to integrate into the modern American life with uh, sometimes hilarious, sometimes tragic results. That is sci-fi done right. This is just stupid. You know what the kids on the Internet call this? They call it boomer humor. This is some boomer humor. This is here for yeah, and I like boomer humor. <laughs> and we're not boomers, Keith. We're 43. We're not that old. You might feel that old. I might feel that old sometimes, but we're not boomers. And this is some lazy, shitty boomer humor writing that you would see exactly in the pages of Playboy. Because this is just not for me. This shouldn't be for anyone. I hate this shit. Chili, where are you at? This was maybe one of my favorite sketches I've ever seen on this show. <laughs> it was so stupid. It was so dumb. Like, you know, I understand the points of it, but I am leaning with you, Keith, on this one. And the fact it was a parody of all the stereotypes. So I give them a pass on things like the pink ship and, you know, even like the fact that all the the monitors were like shaped like giant boobs on the women's ship and all that. It was, it was so dumb. It was easy to watch. Also, once again, I'm not intentionally disagreeing with everything Matt says, but I found this is probably the best Hef did because he was playing a little bit of a character and, you know, it didn't seem as obvious he was reading, but yeah, there was just stuff like the mouse Ray is a prime example. It wasn't, now, it was like a sex joke or all that. It was just such a ridiculous old-timey stereotype of like when they said, I'll release the mouse ride, my first thought was if they have like the women up eking on top of chairs, I'm going to lose it. And that's exactly what they did because it's such old, you know, Tom and Jerry shit just twisted around. <laughs> I thought this was hilarious. But I do feel bad for Garrett because Garrett can't even get a funny like innuendo name in this one. Like, come on, give it so give him something. He had as many lines. He wasn't just a background guy. But yeah, I found this was well acted. The names were funny. The, the jokes, while cliched, um, especially nowadays, I found landed. And maybe if the crowd was as dead as they were for a lot of the other sketches tonight, this may have fell flat. But the audience was into it. And them laughing probably helped me laugh at it more, too. 
I thought this was great. Here is the problem, and here is why I passionately think you guys are wrong. Because you both have re referenced that, oh, we're making fun of a stereotype. The guy in the captain's chair is the perpetuator of the stereotype. He creates the stereotype. This is a man who thinks women are commodities. This is not making fun of a stereotype. This is perpetuating that women are dainty little creatures that we can manipulate. It is shitty. It has a shitty message. And I really think you guys are way off on this. This is not some fun poking at a stereotype. So it's it's the it's the shadow of Hefner as much as the quality of the sketch. But you know, for they're you. obviously they're for, I've already mentioned that there's no jokes here. You can't do oh, my name is Testron or whatever the fuck the stupid hormonal names are for the crew members. These aren't good jokes. This isn't smart writing. This is a group of writers that are like, okay, Hugh Hefner's on the show. Let's write some bullshit that some old middle-aged dude reading playboy magazine would find you know what's funny like at the time it's not playboy you know kids look at playboy magazine for tits okay and so there's nothing cool happening. and if you're gonna you know as the show tries to suggest later oh but there's cool shit happening in playboy magazine it's the most eye-rolling defense for this horrible man that's not, you, you don't get good comedy out of that. You don't get good television out of that. You get an advertisement. You get a 90-minute goddamn advertisement for Playboy, which is what I feel like I'm watching. Yeah, and I'll, I'll concur with that a little later. But yes, um, I'll agree with that. Yes, obviously, Hugh Hefner being the host, and this is yeah, has a lot of sex jokes in it, but that's also not rare for SNL at the time either, right? So if, I guess realistically, you know, this was a sketch that was on the week Hugh Hefner was on, but I wouldn't be shocked if this was on one where say like Elliot Gould was the host because, you know, they were doing, no matter how you define it, cutting edge stuff at the time was part of what SNL, you know, became famous for. So I could see somebody else hosting and doing this exact same sketch. I mean, check the ratings. It's also not rare for the, ho the for the show to be lazy horse shit. You know, that's not rare for the the hor the show to be lazy horse shit writing is not rare, unfortunately, at this stage. And I know what you're saying, but I think for me, it matters less who's doing the line. Shall we move on to Libby Titus? Please. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> oh, quite, quite, sir. <laughs> so Libby Titus comes out. Uh, she sings uh, that uh, fool that I am off her 1977 album called Libby Titus. The album, in many ways, features a lot of people who were sort of the uh, the elements, the key elements of mainstream music, especially that type of music at the time. This was forgettable. I, I honestly saw it three times. I don't really remember it. Um, it's not a name I'm overly familiar with. I don't. I don't know if I've ever heard the name Libby Titus before this episode. So uh, yeah, this was uh, uh, you know all due respect to Miss Ms. Titus. This happened. Libby Titus is, in my opinion. The biggest piece of shit that's ever walked the face of the earth. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you know what? She has a very nice voice. But like you said, this was just, it was boring. Um, I would have liked to maybe see if she has you know, another song or something. But the song itself, not my cup of tea. Uh, she did look an awful lot, especially in the face, like Lady Gaga. If Lady Gaga had dressed as Gabe Kaplan for Halloween. Like, go back, look at her face. And then, like, hold your phone up with Lady Gaga's face on it. I found her very, very, very similar looking. But as far as the actual performance, not to give away too much for what I felt about this episode, but I was kind of looking forward to a second musical performance. <laughs> I thought this was okay. I thought she had good control of her voice. Uh, every once in a while, she strayed into a, uh, when she was heading into the chorus, I'm not a, a technician, but I believe it's the bridge. When she was there, uh, she got a little shrill, but uh, the song was kind of pretty. I would have liked another song. This was different than usual. So I was kind of into it and I paid attention and I felt rewarded for it. Not bad. Not bad for me. We now go to Anyone Can Host. It's a segment following up from Lauren's last week as a Anyone Can Host contest announcement. This isn't funny, but I thought Garrett did a fantastic job, actually. Uh, really well done. Just a quick in and out. 
Yeah, he did better than Lauren did last week. Yeah, I was a little confused at first, not having seen last week's episode, but can't complain about it. Yeah, he did way better than Lauren. You're right, Matt. We now go to the ex-police. John Belushi and Jane Curtin play a younger couple. Belushi's on his way to discovering the uh, cure for cancer. Uh, I think they're young college couple. And they he, uh, he lights a joint, he takes a puff, and Aykroyd and Murray come in as ex-police officers with empty wallets and no badges. Uh, they're not cops anymore, but they still feel like they can enforce the rules. Murray pistol whips Jane, and Aykroyd uh, kills Belushi by grabbing him by the throat and smashing his head off the wall many, many times. Aykroyd says it's another marijuana-related death. He shoots Belushi and then throws water on Jane to wake her up, so she thinks that she killed Belushi. Uh, Jane panics and jumps out the window. The whole thing gets a bit of an awkward reaction from the audience, but they seem to do enjoy it. Dan and Murray try to leave, but the door is stuck, and you can see a crew person push the door open for them. It then goes to a, uh, a police lineup thing, like at the end of Dragnet, where it says uh, Jane was killed in a prison riot. This was all right, but it is basically three scenes from Reefer Madness combined into one. A little disappointing. Um, but it's, incidentally, our version of Reefer Madness, directed and adapted by me, is available on our YouTube page, and it features Chili as Ralph Wiley. But uh, beyond that, this was okay. Um, I didn't love it, didn't hate it. I did enjoy Dan beating up Belushi for a change, or Belushi getting beat up for a change, rather than him putting the pucks to someone else. I thought it was pretty funny myself. I uh, It's been a while since I've seen Reefer Madness, uh, and even having seen it, uh, it was nice to see the not-ready-for-prime-time players doing it. It was a, a suitable novelty for me, and it was one that carried it effectively for me. And I thought everyone was really good. I thought it was fast-paced and ridiculous and clever. I know, yeah, it's a rehash. Rehashes can still be clever. Check out my edition of The Monkey's Paw coming up in 2023. Yeah, I wasn't too big on this one. It reminded me of a sketch we covered... Uh think last season the season before where same thing it was dan and someone else coming in doing the cop act and getting overly violent and i just found this one didn't really land with me too much i did laugh at after they uh beat him to death another marijuana death let's make it look like the girl did it and then the door getting stuck was the highlight so i guess for me like when the highlight of your sketch was the unintentional part <laughs> hey take it or leave it our next sketch is one I think we're all going to be on the same page for. It's the circular bed sex research sketch. Jane is with Hugh Hefner in a circle bed. She has a scientific theory about couples on a circular bed, and they're about to kick off their research when his beeper goes off and he answers the call. He chats quickly and gets rid of the call. He then gets another beep and says it's a helicopter landing on the helipad. Jane says she should leave and Hef says uh, he wouldn't want her to leave if the president called. Cue Dan Aykroyd coming in as President Jimmy Carter, asking Hugh Hefner for advice. Carter likes to listen to music loudly, but doesn't want to disturb people, so he wants to know what headphones to buy. Uh, Hef gives him advice about a certain type of headphones. Carter leaves and asks if the, he and the Secret Service can use the jacuzzi. This was not funny. This felt like two sketches smashed into one, maybe three sketches smashed into one. Um, the only redeeming thing in this was the voice Jane used and her commitment to playing the character, but there wasn't much else. Yeah, I just found this was not funny. I almost wondered if it was one of the um, in-show ads that they've done before. At the end, it seemed like it could have been, but they didn't throw to any actual ad. So yeah, this was just weird and... It felt like they said, we need to do something with Hugh Hefner. And then whatever they had wasn't working. So they said, ah, fuck it. Just have Dan go do Jimmy Carter for a bit. There was nothing to the sketch and it was not very good. It is a struggle for me, gentlemen, to hear you not enjoy this sketch yet continue to defend the space sketch when it's the same fucking sketch about Hugh Hefner and his, you know, various philanderings and how they, you know, all his little oopsies and whatabouts. It is obviously, I agree that it's trash, but I think it's the same trash as the first one. Our next sketch is listening to great music. John Belushi hosts a show where he talks about listening to great music, and uh, he's going to do uh, he's going to play Rise of the Valkyries. 
So he tells everyone to sit back and listen and let the music enter their minds and let the images percolate in their brain as the music goes on. But he starts talking through it and giving us his images, very detailed stuff about people sneaking into movies and falling in love and flying to Hawaii. He also keeps uh, screwing with the record player and then smashes it up after going into a uh, almost like reliving a battlefield incident. This was strange. It wasn't funny. It was more Belushi acting mad and destroying things. I don't know. I didn't like this one. I I, I kind of had high hopes for it, but uh, they they soon fell. Yeah, I hated this. This is terrible. If anything, the only positive I really have to say about this and the last sketch is that it was a rare case where there was kind of a segue from one to the other, where they're talking about the music and then it segued into this sketch. And my first thought was, oh, that's you know kind of cool. They didn't just do a dead stop and then. Once this, what got going, it was more Belushi, just, you know, doing Belushi, which is good the first one or two times you see it. But yeah, no, this fucking stank. This was, this is what I do not like about SNL. Yeah, it was pretty bad. It's also pretty bad that it almost comes as a breath of fresh air in this episode for me. I'm struggling for laughs this episode. I've got that, uh, you know, the, uh, what was it called? Angora what, Keith? I'm sorry. Angora. Angora bouquet. Angora bouquet. I would buy that in a second. Uh, but uh, other than that, I was reaching. I wanted to like this. And, it, you know, it just wasn't very funny. So it was hard to. Uh, so that sucked. But I tried really hard. I tried. I wanted to. You know how you want it sometimes. We now have a Chiron and this person has no astrological sign. We then go to Weekend Update and uh, Don Pardo announces Dan as uh, Don Aykroyd. Uh, Don says it was probably a, typo, a typographical error and then says, I beg your pardo. A little bit of fun with names there. So weekend update, a guy won a Nobel, Nobel Prize for inventing a party doll for old men. There was a clip of Anita Bryant getting hit with a pie from a member of a group called the Gay Bakers. Tom Schiller plays an NBC page guiding a group of uh, tourists through the uh, weekend update set. Ackroyd calls the control to complain, and they say it's going to be a regular deal. I certainly hope not. Gilda plays Nadia Komanech, um, and it's Gilda doing gymnastics. Uh, she's doing a tour of the U.S. to make as much money as she can while she's still cute, gain, before, and before she gains more weight and grows a mustache. She says it's hard to do gymnastics when arguing with shopkeepers. She's being very rough on Romanian women. The dancing NBCN comes in and gives Dan a story. That says cocaine and heroin don't mix. And if you're going to snort, don't shoot. Incidentally and tragically, Belushi mixed heroin and cocaine a few years later and didn't make it. So they stripped this down from the last couple of weeks. This is more like the old updates. Dan is getting more comfortable, but there just wasn't really anything funny here. Chili, I know this is your first season three weekend update. Let me know what you're thinking. Yeah, this was not a good update. I didn't mind the look of it. Like they had like the different background and all that. And the two of them together, I've seen enough just in reruns where I know it eventually works. It wasn't quite hitting tonight. I just kind of feel it was probably just a week where there wasn't a whole lot of jokes to be made. It wasn't particularly funny, but it was short for a weekend update. Weekend update sketch was so much better than it's been the last two weeks. That chilly, I know uh, you're pro you probably haven't watched the last two. Weekend update has been a nightmare so far this season. It's been overbooked. It's it's just been chaotic. The 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 first one there was so many people on it, and then in the second one. Dan was so visibly miserable. And so this is actually the first regular ass weekend update uh, we've we've seen this season. So I'm, and maybe uh, I gave it more of a pass because of that, because I was like, OK, it just felt a little more natural. I felt I could relax and enjoy it and not have to. Oh, I'm so glad that Bill Murray character wasn't back. It was an improvement. It's going, it's not, still not, I don't, still don't know why they fucked with Jane doing it. That's so frustrating. Material alone was weak, but it did feel more like the weekend update we've come to know and love, eh? Very much so, yeah. It was because it, was, it wasn't, you know, not, again, not use a term that doesn't apply to the show, but it wasn't overbooked and it didn't have, you know, you weren't trying to cram joke after joke down our throats, whether or not they were funny, who gave a shit. It just felt more focused at the very least. Yeah. We now go to sex and cinema and it starts with a uh, Hugh Hefner looking through some old reel to reel films. 
He says, nowadays on TV, anyone can say anything they like on SNL. And he says penis and the screen goes black with a please stand by notice. And then he goes on to talk about how the Hayes Code got really strict censorship. Um, but the one of the Hayes Code's rules were if a man and a woman were in a bed together, one foot had to stay on a floor. And he throws to a clip of an old movie called The First Mrs. Kimball, which was a screwball comedy starring Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant. He throws to the clip, and we have uh, Lorraine as Catherine Hepburn, Bill Murray as Cary Grant. They uh, they show the love scene uh, between the two after some chatting back and forth. So basically, uh, Hepburn and Grant uh, hop on the bed with one another, and they start uh, canoodling. And the camera zooms in on their on uh, Cary Grant's feet, which are indeed on the floor. But the sex sounds coming out of them are, are definitely not Hayes Code, Hayes Code approved. And then Hefner promises next week to show outtakes from the Miracle Workers. So this was a dumb sketch. I didn't like it. Uh, Hefner was wooden as hell, um, which is odd because this is sort of the sort of thing he used to do on his own show, I think. I thought Lorraine's Catherine Hepburn was fantastic. Murray's Cary Grant was okay. Yeah, I agree. There was not much to this. You know, this should have been a, you know, a softball for Hefner to do something good with. And he just kind of talked through it. I guess the highlight would be like Catherine Hepburn, because it wasn't overdone. You know, it's it was more of an actual, like, um, impersonation instead of a full-on character impression, which is rare, because nowadays, you know, if somebody does a Hepburn impression, it's all over, all over dramatic and all that, and this is good, just a regular impression. But otherwise, this sketch, they could have showed commercials, and it would have been uh, gotten the same reaction from me. You know, any virtue signaling from Hefner or his camp that he is some sort of fucking beacon for free speech he can shove that down his throat uh because that is bullshit and this was not funny and i'm not familiar with the regular people enough to to really comment on the impressions to be honest so that that wouldn't be fair of me we now go to our audience chiron i think it says the person swallowed their chewing gum this person did not look happy to be on tv uh we now go to the three r's uh it's a talk show hosted by jane Curtin. It focuses on aspects of the education system. John Belushi plays Mr. Mykonos, who is suing the school board for not being there for his daughter, which is referred to as Colleen, and it's supposed to be Colleen Furman, Gilda's sort of catatonic character, but it takes a different turn. Belushi keeps saying his daughter is stupid, and he hits her in the head a lot. She's written a book called Life of the Illiterate, but the cover says Pots and Owls. Jane notes that all the pages are blank and numbered one. Gilda says she's mad at her father, who's forced her to be on the show. Jane says she should be respectful to her father and hits Gilda. The one thing I liked about this was that Belushi said his kitchenette eatery is called the Eat Good Ca- Eat Good Food Cafe, which I thought was funny. Other than that, there's nothing good in this sketch at all. I did not like this. I agree 100%. This was not good. More Belushi. You know, he was really giving it to Gilda there. <laughs> like... Those weren't worked shots. And yeah, it was just another one of uh, just not a good sketch. And especially it's like another one where, you know, women are either dumb or in this case being full on abused. Yeah, it wasn't great. Not a uh, not a good sketch. It's going downhill pretty fast. You know, when we started doing this, Keith, I knew there would be episodes where we were like, wow, like I can't, you know, they'd never get away with this today. And... You know, I didn't think we were past them or anything, but still, shit. Sometimes they still really slap me in the face. You know, it's all they can do to not use the word retarded. They want to say that she's retarded. They even make a joke at the end uh, about, uh, uh, join us next. What did they say? I forget the joke. Join us next time for our episode about being late called Tardy. Uh, They make a reference to the fact that they know exactly what they're doing. Now we go to the story of H. And this is a very... Uh, this is a, a, a video, like a, a film. I don't know. It, it's not credited to Weiss or Schiller that I could find. I almost wondered if this might have come from somewhere else. So basically, it's uh, Hefner talking about his life. And there's a lot of uh, images of his early pinups and stuff like that going through his career. And he says he was uh, duped by the libertines and hippies. And he keeps trying to escape the life he's in as it shows images of him and other people having fun. And he hopes that seeing this film will save other people from having the life he has. And if it does, then making the film was worth it. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I don't know if I liked this or not. I watched it a couple times. The first time I watched it, I thought it was pretty clever. 
Second time around, I, I'm having a hard time with this one because I, to be frank, uh, you know, unlike Matt, I don't know quite how I feel about Hefner. I haven't done enough reading into what, you know, the bad or even the really good allegations are against him. Uh, I do like the style of the film, um, but I don't know about the content. Uh, so in this case, I, I kind of have to give it a pass. I'd love to know if it was a Weiss or a Schiller, if it was something that was dropped in from another piece of media. But uh, but that's all I got. I was thinking the same thing because it didn't seem like the usual fare. I almost wonder if it's something where at least the video part, like if this is like a video that somehow Playboy has used and put together and maybe they just added the Hefner, I guess, ironic, jokey monologue over it. Yeah, it didn't seem like an SNL made production. The soundtrack was good. <laughs> I don't know if all of these songs that were used were movie commercial cliches at the time, but every song they used was pretty much, well, anytime somebody wants to release like an action movie or something, they use one of these songs. So <laughs> good soundtrack. They basically use the Forrest Gump soundtrack. Pretty much. <laughs> we need to treat Hugh Hefner with the same respect that we would treat Bill Cosby and Roman Polanski. He is a bad man. And, you know, we can slide along the whole episode and, you know, no disrespect, Keith, saying like, well, we don't know the details. No, but see, Matt, I'm going to tell you, I know so little about Hugh Hefner that what you're saying to me is is brand new knowledge to me. That's fair. That's fair. Till I watched this episode, I thought Hugh Hefner was British. <laughs> <laughs> That's honestly how little I know about Hugh Hefner. <laughs> We now go to the Playboy philosophy, and I think some of this is uh, a take on uh, how Hefner. I think he debated William F. Buckley and the play about the Playboy philosophy one time in the late fifties, early sixties. Either way, it's Athens, Greece, four hundred BC. Plato and Socrates get advice from Hugh Hefner, the great philosopher. Uh, Hefner is asked how a man should live. He asks what a man is and why a man is different from the beast. Um, and his answer is, does the lion decorate his home with leather bedspreads? And does the fox choose the right aftershave? Socrates and Plato, who are played by Belushi and Garrett, realize that only the human can enjoy a sensual and uninhibited lifestyle. Some takeaways from this. Again, it's more of... Uh, of, of Hefner being Hefner. Belushi and Garrett, I thought, were uh, especially strong in this one. And I thought they actually got one of the better, quote unquote, performances from Hefner. My favorite line was Belushi's, once again, Hef, you have proven yourself the wisest and most swinging of the Greeks. This is another one. I got nothing out of this. Initially, I thought with the costumes, it could lead to something. But yeah, there was not too much to this one at all. Like nothing memorable, nothing good or bad. It was just What's next? We now go to a Chiron. Woman gives great expectations. Um, this is a play on one they had last year, or last week, I think. We now go to a sketch that is definitely something completely different. It's a funeral magician. Hatley Raymond, played by Bill Murray, is called up to give the eulogy at his best friend's funeral. He tells people to think of a word to describe the deceased, whose name is Jonathan. Murray asks how many people thought of terrific, and I think it was four out of nine or nine out of 12 or whatever it was. Murray then pulls flowers out of his pocket, and he's obviously a magician. He calls from volunteers from the mourners to come up and help cheer up the audience. Murray gets Gilda and Hefner up from the audience, gets Gilda to take a card from a deck. He gets everyone to chant, yes, the spirits can talk. And the corpse allegedly guesses the card as the nine of diamonds. But Gilda says, no, it's the seven of spades. Murray says, I guess the dead can't talk. But then he checks in the corpse's pocket and he has the correct, he has the right card. Everybody claps. Bill and Dan then do a sawing in corpse, uh, sawing the corpse in half bit, which is funny because whenever I see caskets, I often think that they rem remind me of the sawing people in half boxes um, with that divider down the middle. And then Bill starts singing, put on a happy face. This was really good. Um, in a lot of ways, it was one of the better ones of the night. It's Bill doing his best, Dan doing his best. It was really funny in spots, but for something kept it from being really top tier for me, and I don't know what it was. Um, but uh, this was good. It's one of the better ones of the night. It was a really good concept, the idea of like the magician performer having to give the eulogy. So I liked aspects of that. 
his work with Gilda and I mean, even half is like, you know, bringing the audience up that worked, but I agree. There was something that was missing and I was trying to think, why don't I like this more? And I almost feel like the biggest prop that he had, which is the dead body at the funeral, they could have used that more. Maybe like he was just doing regular magical stuff. And aside from taking the, uh, uh, taking the card from the corpse's pocket, they didn't use the dead body in a funeral sketch. Uh, maybe that's looking for low hanging fruit, but yeah, Bill was good. I liked the concept, but there just weren't enough jokes in there. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I uh, enjoyed it pretty much the whole time. It was, you know, it was weird. It was a magician at a funeral and, you know, that would get a laugh out of me in the writer's room. And I'd be like, well, who's the magician? And they'd say Bill Murray. And I'm like, yeah, okay, now that's good. Let's write some jokes. Let's have a big card that he pulls out from under the corpse. Uh, I thought the whole thing was really funny and pretty clever. And I thought he killed it. Loved it. Yeah, it was a nice break from everything else, for sure. We now go to, for the first time in season three, Andy Kaufman. Andy enters to a big ovation, really bouncy music. He goes to the microphone and he starts singing an almost childlike version of Oklahoma and then does a very basic dance. That bit ends. He goes to a piano and he sings a song with animals and the, the sounds that, or he sings a song about the sounds animals make and he gets the audience to sing it together. He gets everyone to repeat okay after him, but every time he says okay in another context, they repeat it. The music picks up and then Andy puts on an Elvis jacket. He starts doing his Elvis bit and sings I Need Your Love Tonight. I liked all three of these bits, but the three of them together was kind of all over the place. I kind of wondered, like, did Andy have the first two bits planned as part of another act? And they asked him to to do Elvis. You know, it's a, it's a friend of the show who did a great impression and Elvis had just died. So it's it's quite possible. That's why um, this was the weakest Andy segment to date, but it was still a pretty fun one. Yeah, it was good. It's always nice to see Andy. He does bring a nice um you know, he breaks up the show pretty well, and a show like this did need a breakup. Uh, I didn't like the Oklahoma part, but once he got into the cow goes moo, it was fun. I liked the the whole part where when I say okay, you say okay, and he kept, like, throwing the little okays in. The crowd work was good. Uh, the Elvis bit felt tacked on at the end to add a bit more energy to it. Um Yeah, it wasn't the best, Andy, but it was enjoyable. The, the thing, the good thing with Kaufman is that Anyone can do what he does, but no one has ever done it before or really since. So it's always fascinating to watch just something so different as it's happening. He's this this is one of those guys like he has a power over the audience that you rarely come across. He's out here. You're right. It's not it was, it's his weakest segment televised on Saturday Night Live that we have seen. It is not funny. Uh, but his charisma, his management of the audience, his just control of our attention and the crowd, he's just magnetic. He was a magnetic person and personality. And you get away with a few things when you have that character. And he got away with a few things here. Uh, but I mean, he did get away with it because he does have that character. You know what I mean? Like, it's not bad enough for it to be a fail by any means. We now go to the Farbers at the Playboy Club. And uh, it's Larry, played by Belushi, and Bobby, played by Gilda. And they're brought there by Reg Schaefer, played by Dan Aykroyd, who's a longtime club key holder. Uh, Schaefer talks like he knows all about Hefner, and uh, he's, you know, really into the club, knows all about the Playboy Club. Larry is loving his stories, but uh, Bobby is quite disappointed and bored and wants to go home. Schaefer goes on to talk about Hefner having like a, a bunny sub, and he says the uh, bunnies, the Playboy bunnies are all bred and they're killed when they hit 25, except his home bunnies who get to live 10 to 15 years longer. Bobby's really getting annoyed. And they get She and Larry get into a bit of an argument. Hugh Hefner comes up. Bobby talks about her uh, reading the interview Alex Haley did with Malcolm X, which is a very famous interview. Hefner suggests that maybe she comes back and talks about it. So in a way, this was meant to show the sophisticated side of Playboy and uh, Hugh Hefner, and allegedly the interviews were always quite good. I don't know if that was if they accomplished what they tried, though. The weakest entry so far from the Farbers, Dan was pretty good, but I think this sketch was poorly placed. It was 
very late. The audience was not into it uh, at all, and nor was I. I wondered if it may have been better served earlier in the show. I was disappointed, though. The Farbers are, like I said last year, one of my favorite characters, and this was a very weak one for them. I'm usually not a big fan of the Farbers, and seeing them in this sketch kind of helped a little bit. Uh, Dan was, as usual, good, you know, fast talk self, but the material wasn't really much to work with. Yeah, just not at a good use, and even like half coming over at the end, they didn't give him much to do, which I guess is good overall because his performance hasn't been great. I uh, thought it was, I mean, I rolled my eyes. I don't need to say anything more about half this evening. I have gone on enough. But uh, but otherwise, it wasn't very funny to me. My favorite part was Gilda. I th- thought Gilda was pretty uh, into her character, and I've, I've been don't you know I, I was reminded about how much I'm enjoying her this season as as she disappears more into the roles instead of playing these really neurotic, obnoxious characters. Like when, when given the opportunity, what a, she was just a good actress, you know, a talent taken too soon. I tell you what. Did I hear Dan calling Hugh Hefner Nur in this sketch? <laughs> I didn't, but I hope so. I love that. <laughs> Nur. <laughs> so the good nights. Uh, Hef thanks everyone for the nice adventure. And in the what's Dan Aykroyd doing? He books it out back at warp speed. As soon as Hefner is done speaking, he's gone. So, um, yeah, nothing to note from this one. Just everyone seemed kind of happy. I think it was Garrett and... Lorraine were dancing and stuff. So, yeah, it was a nice one. So let's talk our our ratings for the show. So rating the host um, of all the non-performers thus far, Hefner, I thought, was the least wooden and appeared at times to be the most relaxed. Bear in mind that does not mean much at all. Naturally, with a non-performer, the whole show or a big bulk of it is going to focus on who they are or what they are. Like when you're talking about you know, sex and titillation on television. Things can only be dealt with so much, so much before, until they get to the point where they raise the hackles of standards and practices. So, I mean, any thought that like in the middle of 1977 Saturday Night Live, they'd break into something really, really raunchy. So, you know, they're they're, they're limited by their standards and practices. So, yeah, I mean, if anybody in 1977 was like, oh, Hefner's going to be hosting tonight, it's going to be nudity and debauchery on the show, they would have been very let down. Personally, I wish there was more stuff that was not Playboy-centric or thematically related to Playboy, but what do you expect? Yeah, I mean, Hef was not a great host on an episode that was kind of tailored for him. He's comfortable being himself on television, so you're not going to get somebody bursting with energy. He tried a few little things here and there, but the weird thing, the best way to use Hugh Hefner was done probably about 17 years later when he guest starred on The Simpsons, where he had a little bit to do. They kind of used him outside of what you would expect him to be used. Maybe that's the big problem with this episode, why a lot of didn't hit was at no point did they try to subvert expectations and have Hugh, ha- you know, have him play a nerd, have him do something other than just being like suave Hugh Hefner. And maybe that's why it didn't hit. None of the jokes really landed that he put forward. And as dumb as it may sound, you have Hugh Hefner there at no point in any of the sketches, at least as far as I remember, did they have like the bunnies come in. So they sort of used him the way you would expect him to be used, which got rid of any type of surprise factor to it. But you take Hugh Hefner away from all, you know, the Playboy bunnies, and he's just some suave guy who's all of a sudden seems even creepier. You know, do a sketch where they have the bunnies in or something. Just, I don't know, they just didn't use him well, even though it was an episode clearly tailored towards his persona. They didn't go too far in the other direction to make him interesting. Yeah, the whole episode is just an ad for Playboy, uh, and that's boring, and it was boring, and he was bad. And All right, so here we're going to get to the uh, the other stuff. Me- uh, music, rating the music. Honestly, Libby Titus, non-entity. Uh, I don't remember the tune. I really barely remember what Libby Titus looked like. Um, kind of means I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it. Just kind of there. Yeah, not nothing to it. She had a nice voice, but the song itself 
not my type of music. And not only was it not my type of music, there was nothing to engage me to think, well, maybe I will give this a shot, which if anything, like doing these episodes with you guys, one of the highlights for me doing it is some of the different musical acts that I never heard of, but I went and checked out and now I have some of their stuff randomly pop up on YouTube now and I'm listening to it. And yeah, Libby Titus will not be one of those performers who will be randomly popping up on my YouTube after this. Yeah, I'm not going to go check it out or anything either, but, uh, you know, par for the course, because as, you know, as these things tend to go historically, uh, sometimes it's just it's just me against Keith in the third chair. I don't think we've ever had a, a good me in the third chair versus Keith. Uh, but I'm sure the time will come. There's lots of episodes ahead. No, the first 13 episodes, man. <laughs> oh, but anyway, I thought this was fine. And I, I you know, I'm not going to go hunting it out, but uh, I wouldn't skip it if it came on again, because it. Uh, I hated that part where she went shrill when she was heading into the chorus. Mm. She has a moment where it gets really shrill for a second, but then she brought it back down and she had a this control of her voice that reminded me of this sort of early like 1983 balladeer that's not some sort of janice ian laura brannigan hybrid uh but they also listened to rough trade i don't know it was i don't i liked it what do you want me to say get out of here i like it. you knucklehead yeah. um <laughs> so uh the worst sketch of the night belushi listening to the music it could have been something i like the fact that it had a uh an odd little tie-in to the sketch beforehand, but it just was more, you know, John Belushi talking over Flight of the Valkyries. I would have rather just listened to that rather than Belushi going on over it with just more gibberish. Hated it. <laughs> I'm fucking wild that that was Chili's worst sketch of the night. It was the Playboy ad. The Playboy ad was the fucking worst sketch of the night. Come on, Chili. It was a fucking ad, dude. At least it was a well-done ad. Whether you like what it was advertising or not it was well edited it had good music it wasn't just john belushi sitting there at least that makes, to- i mean that makes somebody laugh i'm not saying they have a good sense of humor but it's not marketing i tend not like i probably could have put weekend update as the worst bit because it was maybe the worst update i've seen but it's one of those things i don't necessarily rate the same as i would rate against like a sketch or even some of the uh home movies and stuff which i'm pretty sure have gotten Worst segment of the night for me before. Chili I, Chili, I think you're a wonderful person. I've never been angrier with you in my life. Furious. <laughs> just furious, dude. Oh, my worst was the three R's. I just did not like Belushi beating around. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, Matt, you alluded to it. There was a lot not written, like not said, that was sort of between the lines in that sketch with Belushi beating up Gilda. Yeah, ooh, that was so unpleasant. Yeah. Just, ugh. That one uh, made me really comfortable. And then for Jane to do it too, it was not, uh, I don't know, it didn't sit well with me. And I actually, frankly, other than the one line, the eat good food diner or whatever the hell it was called, uh, I didn't laugh once. All right, so what was the best sketch of the night? Go ahead and pick one of the Hugh Hefner sketches, Chili. The best sketch of the night by far was the space sketch. Men and women were so different. It's like you know, we're from different planets. You know, it just socially, I think it's the sketch that we need. As much in bitch. 2022 as back in 1970. <laughs> you know, it, it was, like I said, I think anyone could have played the Hugh Hefner part and this sketch probably would have still been on the show. I don't get the vibe. It was necessarily written with him in mind because it was just dumb old jokes but i liked the way the dumb old jokes were delivered and especially you know the old concept of the women jumping up on a chair maybe that's a good way to put it in terms of like maybe how we see the sketch differently like yes it was hugh hefner yes most of the jokes were you know sex related but for me literally the highlight of the sketch was the old timey women jumping up on a chair because they see a mouse and yelling eek (laughs) so i don't know maybe that's just a different way of looking at it, but I found the sketch funny, and that is getting my sketch of the night. I really didn't like too much on this show, obviously, but I guess the one that I uh, was the most charmed with was the funeral magician that worked for me. It felt like classic Saturday Night Live. It was pretty 
stupid and there was some gags but i mean this is something that's like bill only bill murray could do that because he's you know he gets he's developing that character uh that he's going to go on to play for the rest of his life and this is the genesis of it and it's fun to watch I, uh, I also went with the uh, uh, men versus women, planet of the men versus planet of the women. Sometimes you just want pantomime farce. You know, in, in, in one sense, yes, Hefner was there. But I also think of the women that were there. And uh, Gilda and, and Jane and Lorraine wouldn't have done it if they didn't at least have some belief that it was funny. Point well taken, Matt, but it was a cartoon. But uh, Matt, you're right. There wasn't much to choose from here. Who's the star of the night? Star of the night? I am going to give it to Jane. Nobody had much to work with. I felt like she was used more this episode than a lot of other ones that I've seen with her in it. She didn't do anything spectacular, but she did everything fairly well. And yeah, the Aurora Bouquet uh, commercial, her performance, that was probably the best you know, one-off performance of anybody on the night. If Bill had more to do. The magician one may have put him over, but I'm giving this one to Jane. Yeah, I mean, at least Chili and I can agree on something this evening, and I do think that's appropriate. The commercial parody was great, uh, and she is really playing more complicated characters. Uh, she continues to play weird characters and not just the straight woman uh, in all of the sketches, and that's fun to see. Uh, her outbursts and weekend updates. She was a little more back to normal this week, uh, even though I'm still not on board, but she was certainly better than anybody else. I thought. Yeah. And well, no matter how much strife there is throughout the uh, episode, we all end at the same place. And I too went with Jane by a landslide. Um, no one was even close when I went through it. Angora bouquet, leader of the planet of the women. She did, Great on update, despite the jokes suck. I hated the circular bed thing, but she was good in it. And uh, I could kind of say the same thing about the three R's, which I really didn't enjoy either. Um, the weird part for this one I found was none of the not ready for for, for primetime players, other than Belushi, uh, were, were really hateful or bad in any of these. But everybody was really spread out, and it looked like everybody got something to do this week. Um, but... Uh, that all being said, Jane, I think, was head and shoulders above everyone else tonight. It, it's weird. It's a weird episode because I find the other episodes that I've been involved in where they had a non-performer host. Usually that's a time when the not yet ready for t- primetime players step up or they'll like it'll be like a better update or something. But I find that didn't necessarily happen this one. Nobody did anything bad, but with having a not great host nobody really took that time to you know step up and do something really memorable overall what a weird one we've not had a really hugely awesome episode yet for season three i was kind of hoping this would be it but no luck here the best stuff on this episode did not involve the host basically and 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 there's a there is a gamble breaking from having a non-performer do what a non-performer doesn't normally do but they didn't hit that yet i was uh surprised pleasantly at how comfortable Hefner was in comparison to other people who are non-performers, but he wasn't great. The big takeaway is that Saturday Night Live season three still seems to be on a beginning of the season autopilot, and I'm really waiting for it to to amount to something this year. It's it's the big year. I've been waiting for this, um, and my memories of this season are, are quite strong, so we need a good episode. I actually wound up giving this one a 5.5 out of 10. Not only was it not good, it wasn't not even bad. So there was nothing in it that was even, for my opinion anyway, horrendous enough to remember. Like I was always hoping for a little bit more salaciousness from it, but nothing happened. None of the jokes landed aside from you know, the the controversial men and women planet sketch thing. But yeah, there's nothing to this episode. I probably won't remember it in two days. For that reason, I'm giving it a three out of ten. Very bad episode. Very bad host. The the music has not, the music's a non-entity. What the fuck? Where'd the music go? Uh, two episodes now. We got no music. Uh, well, I, you know, not no music, but I mean, we got these 
who the fuck are these people acts coming out here to do a song? Come on. Uh, we need the music back. We need funny weekend update. We need professional hosts that are not just like, you know, like we, we need performers. We need performers and we need good music. It's 1977. It's season three. It's supposed to be one of the hottest seasons in the show's history. It sucks, dude. So far, we're three episodes in. It sucks. Where, where, where is it at? Where is it at? Fuck. 3.5. 3.5 out of 10 on this for me. 3.5. Okay, so with my 5.5, Matt's 3.5, and Chili's 3, we give this one a 4.0, or 4 out of 10. The Internet Movie Database gave it a 6.3, which uh, ranks it as the worst episode of Season 3, number 20, and uh, 668 uh, to date, which is very, very low for an early season Saturday Night Live. Yeah, if you're going to be bad, at least be memorably bad this is just a boring nothing happening episode if you're you know for better or worse if you're gonna have hugh hefner you have some titillation or something to it this was just bleh so chili thank you very much for uh joining us tonight for this uh this interesting probably controversial episode yeah no problem i had a good time it's uh I'm looking forward to the next episode. So uh, Episode 12, you'll be seeing us again. So that shouldn't be too, too far off. Matt, next week we're going to be joined by Ron. And do you know the host? No. Charles Grodin. Sweet. I like Charles Grodin. And do you know the musical guest? No. Paul Simon. Fuck my life. Paul's bringing a friend. Is it ours? Or Charles is actually bringing a friend, yes. Charles Grodin is friends with both Simon and Garfunkel, and when they despised each other, he was still friends with both. Oh, bless. If we get a Garfunkel, I'm in. Matt and I will be back in about a week, but until then, we'll be just reading the interviews here in SNL.